Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, how's it going? Going well. Going well. Surviving some muggy weather, but nothing as bad as you all have had out in the Midwest there. It sounds like it was pretty heated up this week. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of tough, but, you know, staying inside like like I usually do. Yeah, so. hermetically sealed works. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I actually went to a different location inside since the last time we talked. I made my first visit back to the office in wow. a long time for like a work day. And uh, it was pretty interesting. We, we might have to talk about it more later if we dive yeah. more into remote work and stuff. But I think my experience was similar to what maybe you've experienced going to events where it's like, the same, but not the same, kind of all all together. It's like yeah. so, so much of it feels exactly the same, but there are parts that feel very different, uh, I think, with the experience that we've had over the past couple of years. And I think you're just much more aware of like what works and what doesn't work and and your your whole time, you know, with, yeah. with people and, and being in an office just feels very odd, I think. Well, I, I certainly think in all, a lot of aspects of our lives, not just work too, there's the before times now and the after times yeah. that we're all adjusting to. I think that's a good segue, actually, uh, to our guest that, who we have today, uh, Rob Ray, who spends a lot of time himself on the road and was probably relegated to off the road during COVID and now has returned to the road. So probably knows a lot about the before times and after times and how weird that is. Rob is a good friend of ours. He's the senior vice president of business development at Datto. And we are psyched to talk to you today, Rob. Hello. Welcome. Seth, Carolyn, very happy to be here. Thank you. Hey, yeah. Thanks for joining us. We've, uh, we've definitely had a lot of time together shenanigans at different events and what whatnot so uh good to, good to be seeing you again and hopefully we'll see you live pretty soon well i've been i've been out live actually I, I um was at two events this week i was down in miami and then dc and now back up home and then out on monday uh to vegas so for me it's been non-stop i think it's yousef that needs to get out it is yeah definitely. i'm the i'm the one that needs to uh, venture out of my bubble here a little bit but i'll, I'll get there i'll get you, you there and i'll join baby you all steps. you drove up the road drove up the road to downers grove this week so that was right. baby steps uh, baby steps <laughs> yeah well hopefully we We'll, we'll all see each other at ChannelCon, except ChannelCon's in Chicago this year, so you still don't have to get on the road. No, so. Yeah, just driving. Yeah. Just drive up just there. So. A little bit driving. Well, Rob, we want to talk to you about a, uh, a hot topic. I think that's kind of been a perennial topic as well, but um, it's it's one that that you personally and your work life have been in the, in the throes of um, over the last year or so. And we want to talk about mergers and acquisitions in our industry, so within the channel and within the tech industry. And and uh, how that impacts everyday decisions, how that impacts uh, the way the companies maneuver with one another, and importantly, how that impacts downstream to partners and customers um, who are affected or not affected, depending on what your answer is here, to companies that they work with um, merging. So where to kick that off? Um, that's a lot. Um, let's talk about customers. And so let's talk about customers because we spend so much time talking about vendors and talking about partners. So let's go to the end of the chain, which is where it all matters, I guess, to everybody bottom line wise is um, does customer demand and what you see in the customer market, do you think that has any impact in determination around mergers and acquisitions, making companies make that decision to, to move in that direction? I, I, I 
I would say yes. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is that um, MSPs, as, as they um, continue to get larger, they can perform uh, and get larger both from like a, an actual size as well as a um, financial position, they can perform better services. Uh, you know, it's arguable that, you know, maybe they can't, uh, it, you know, you get too big that you lose the personality of the touch ultimately with the end user. However, um, especially as technology is changing rapidly, especially as we continue to see massive job shortage, uh, or people shortage for jobs, excuse me, in the IT space. Um, there's a lot of organizations that have had to route to acquisition just to try to get more hands to actually help out with all the work that's there. On top of that, when you think about, you know, things like compliance and security becoming so much more important than ever before, sometimes you have to go and buy that expertise. Um, yeah. We're seeing a lot um, of telco companies buying MSPs, MSPs buying telco companies, print shops involved in those types of things. So they can provide better services, more robust services, additional services and, you know, all in one bill to their to their ultimate end user. You know, so is the end user demand there? Probably, I, I wouldn't suggest that it's necessarily there. I think that if you can do an acquisition properly or a merger properly, it could be a very, very beneficial thing uh, for, for the ultimate end users as a result. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You know, I think one thing that we've seen so much in the research over the past few years is this nature of the appetite for technology, you know, kind of put up against the way that capabilities are changing and, and capabilities are growing so much. And, and maybe, you know, a smaller firm is able to do a lot more for their clients if they're using cloud computing or automation or whatever. But then their clients are wanting more and more at the same time, uh, which I think, you know, kind of leads into your point there that that maybe there's a way to provide better service through, you know, combining forces, being able to scale out a little bit differently. Uh, I think that's just part of the same thread that we've been keeping an eye on. What about the economic picture? I, it feels like mergers and acquisitions heated up there for a little bit, maybe in the past mm -hmm. six to 12 months. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and now the economic picture is changing quite a bit, uh, you know, with inflation, with, uh, you know, interest rates changing and, and all of that. So did, did the economics that existed maybe 12 months ago lead to a lot more interest in this area? And do you think that it's going to change or cool down or be different in any way moving forward? I'd actually suggest that it's been a little bit longer than 12 months. And the reason I say that is when I think back, first of all, eliminate the last two years from, from COVID, because I think we all just kind of hibernated for the last two years and forget that we've been hibernating for two years. So, you know, <clears throat> uh, we think of like 2019 as just last year, uh, or at least I do. Because right. it's, <laughs> um, and in 2019, it was a very hot topic. And, and, and 2018, even, I think is when we first started seeing this and, and especially, you know, where, where I tend to play and where my expertise is, is around the managed services space, which is, you know, typically SMB. And, you know, I've been at this now uh, for almost 20 years in the SMB space. And mergers and acquisitions or PE and VC was not a thing. It was just not a thing probably for the first 10 years that I was around. We all did our thing in our, in our little corner in the MSP space. And we were all super happy, the vendors, the MSPs, you know, and we kind of kept to ourselves. And then all of a sudden organizations, large organizations, investors, those kinds of things started noticing that the MSP space is one of the fastest growing pieces in there and that um, it's no longer just an uh, SMB play that we're starting to see mid-market, large market organizations and users needing the services that MSPs are providing. So, you know, this whole uh, scaling up as well as scaling wider, performing better services, all those types of things. Um, it's, it's caused us all to, to kind of mature quite a bit. And that's where the kind of that M&A comes from.
So I would suggest that we've all been talking about this, at least, you know, at our, I judge it based on what the demand is for what we get, at, what we give at our, our user conferences and, and channel con is no different. What are the hot button topics? And M&A has been coming up for about four years now. Mm -hmm. uh, people wanting to know, how do I package up my company and sell it? How do I go and look at companies to sell it? What are the pitfalls you can miss make? And it's amazing to me that, you know, there's so many MSPs that are, are good friends of mine that have done this. And um, they're always asking for advice on how to do it because nobody's ever done it before. So it's a lot of first time M&A. It's not just, you know, uh, organizations that are going and acquiring dozens of MSPs or, or um, uh, you know, different technology verticals at the same time. So it's been a really, really interesting ride because we're all kind of doing this together. Um, I think, uh, and, and you know, everybody's speculating right now, Seth, that there might be a slowdown at this particular point. I know valuations are starting to come down slightly from, from private equity investments. It might be a temporary thing, like we saw this at the beginning of COVID when we didn't know what was going to happen? Were we going to spiral into a recession? Was this going to be devastating for us, um, for all of us in, in the IT space? And we found actually that it was pretty good uh, through the pandemic. So, you know, I think there's uh, and what you're, what we're probably experiencing and reading about, at least right now in, in Q2, Q3 here of, of 22 is more than likely a, a more of a slow down and pause and, and wait to see where this dust is going to settle, how bad is this going to be, or is it going to be anything at all? So, you know, I'd hate to speculate about what the economy is going to do, but I think there's a couple saving graces here. And, and I think one of the things that we take for granted in the IT space is that regardless of uh, recession, uh, pandemic, whatever, everybody always wants technology and they always want new technology and they always need it. And because the technology landscape is changing way faster than before, um, perfect example, I, I joined um, the IT space in, in 20, uh, excuse me, 2000, right after the dot-com bust. Mm -hmm. um, and I was working for Compact Computers, which is, which is hardware, right? And back then, there wasn't a lot of services. It was just hardware. So, you know, we, after the dot-com bust, there was a, a smaller recession, not, not, not nearly as bad as 08, but there was a recession there. And what happened was everybody's just like, you know, I'll wait that one extra year on the warranty of my laptop or my desktop. And I'll just wait one more year and wait one more year before I spend the money. Services are completely different, completely different. You can't wait one more year. Like you're constantly needing to evolve it, especially as we're getting into the security space and security is evolving. You can't just stop um, constantly, you know, looking at the technology and, and staying above and, and ahead on the technology side when it comes to SaaS. And I think that's where kind of, I don't want to use the word recession proof because I, I think that, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to curse it or I don't want to, don't want to jinx it, but I think you know, technology is something that's kind of this level set that's always going to be there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and it seems to me that the companies that fared better coming out of say the last recession in 2008 were the ones that did that continued to make investments yeah. on technology as opposed to doing the hibernation routine that we were really forced into with COVID. But back say in the, in, in, like I said, in the 2008 timeframe, um, we saw healthier companies were the ones that continued to, they may not have invested gangbusters, but they continued to be spending in some way on technology. Um, I wanted to dial it back just a little to the brass tacks that you were talking about a little bit earlier about people are always wanting to know, I want to sell my business, I want to acquire somebody, but how do I do it? Um, and I think there's a lot of how do I do it in the channel when I talk to partners, especially about 
the fundamentals of business, running your business, and now ultimately like selling or, or growing your business with, with the acquisition of another company. What do you say, given the fact that most of these MSPs are pretty small? So, yeah. you know, they have, you know, they have a lot of boundaries around what they can and cannot do. You know, if you have to give them sort of like the top three, you know, um, words from on high about how they should go about this, what do you say? So interesting because uh, I have this conversation a lot and and by no means am I an expert. I've never acquired a company. I've never uh, sold a company. I've worked for companies that have been acquired and 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 have done acquiring. Um, so, you know, a little bit of knowledge and, and I am not financially savvy when it comes to these things. But I mean, I'll share with you that when I do talk because I know. There's a, a group of, of uh, MSPs that I'm, I'm aware of that are, are in the market of wanting to buy. And then I get reached out from MSPs that are wanting to sell. And all I'm good at is kind of connecting people together. Like if I don't have the information, which nine times out of 10, I don't, I know somebody that does. And then I'll just kind of connect those two. Um, makes me look really smart, even though I don't know a damn thing. So it works out really, really well in my favor. Um, and this just happened. Um, good friend of mine um, was prepping his MSP business, small shop, probably about five, five employees, um, and uh, was priming it to be able to hand it off to the to his son who was going to take over the business. And the son was working in the business for a couple of years. Son's decided he doesn't want to do it. So now he's going to sell it. Mm -hmm. So what does he need to focus on? Where does he need to go? And I, I know so in these intros that I'm doing, um, a lot of questions are, are focused around EBITDA. Um, so I would suggest that if uh, EBITDA revenue and then and then just ultimately, what do you what should your expectations as far as exit be? Um, what I do hear is that uh, I think a lot of people um, potentially overvalue how much their business is, um, what the multiplier should actually be. Uh, the great part about this is, is that as these things have been happening over the last number of years, there are a number of experts uh, that have come there and will help you. And there's tons more information. We're not running in the, in the dark, like we used to, where we're just kind of like guessing as to the, what the valuation should be, where the even proper even should be those kinds of things for an MSP specifically, there's enough out there. And if you don't know an MSP that has bought or sold, um, or is looking, I mean, again, reach out to me. I've got a ton of resources, people that are actively looking to buy MSPs have also sold MSPs. Um, who are more than willing. And it's one of the beautiful things actually I love about our community is how much people are willing to share and really show what happened, what were the mistakes that we made, what was the good part about it. If I could do it differently, how would I do it? So more than enough people willing to share. The other part of it too, and, and, and you know, um, ChannelCon I know has an M&A piece, uh, which is coming up in Chicago. DattoCon is in September. That's got an M&A piece. Uh, Connect IT is next week. That's Kaseya's event in, in Vegas. They have an M&A piece. Um, IT Nation, which is ConnectWise's event in November, they have an M&A piece. So there's more than enough if you even just get out to a trade show uh, talking about M&A um, all over everywhere. There's no shortage of conversations. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Like all of this activity is another sign of maturity in the industry that you know, we, we've talked about that on the podcast before in, in some different ways about what it means for technology to be a maturing industry and what some of those signals are. And I think all this activity is another one of those signals and the fact that we're getting more activity and then building more expertise to be able to talk about it and, and move it out of the realm of mystery into something that people can plan for and something that people can approach with some knowledge is, is really good. For those companies that are able to maybe find a partnership or find something that works uh, and, and, and make it happen, 
what happens after the deal? You know, what, what have you seen? You, you've mentioned that you've been a little bit on both sides of it. Yeah. What do you think are some of the keys in making the cultures work together? Because there's that famous Peter Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? So you can probably do all the pre-meetings and look at PowerPoints together and look at the financials and say, yeah, this is going to work. And then on day three, you find out that you're not talking the same language or something like that. So yeah. you work at Twitter and you're, and Elon Musk just bought you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Overnight on a whim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I was I was the same. For us, we just got acquired um, uh, by Kaseya. Uh, was I was on vacation uh, in Jamaica with my family and and like literally unplugged. And it was the Monday morning, and all of a sudden this announcement. And it was funny because one of my um, one of my employees said to me, "said I don't know why, but I just think Kaseya is going to come and buy us." And I'm like, "You're crazy. They're a smaller organization than us. How could they do it?" And and you know they did it. So you know so you never know where these things are going to pop out, when it's going to happen, who it's going to be, which just goes back to the old adage: you never burn a bridge because you never know who might be your boss one day. So um, on top of that, though, when I'm um, when see a lot of times and a lot of the energy and a lot of the effort is generally going into the acquisition process, the beginning of this. How do I do this? How do I price it properly? Um, and it's funny because, you know, I've spent a lot of my time these days uh, as, as we get closer and closer to finalizing the deal that we're in the middle of, of uh, tying together, like on day one, what does it look like? Who, do you, who, who, does, uh, who does your customer partner call? Uh, when they need something, uh, you know, what is the what's the process? We've got two people that do the same role. Like, are they going to continue to do that? So, I mean, there's there's different. There's obviously you got to look at process. You got to look at people. You got to look at the uh, um, client or partner experience as you're going through these things, right down to a very granular level. Um, you know, and we do it. So somebody calls in looking for this product, and they work with this account manager and all that. Like it, it like you kind of have to work through all these different metrics. Um, it's a fascinating exercise if you ever get a chance to do it because it kind of like really shows you how complex our worlds actually are, but how we kind of like simplify it. But when you sit down and kind of like talk about how to make a ham sandwich, it's, it's there's a lot more detail in it than, just, <laughs> than we think. So, you know, it's uh, I think there's a lot of like really um, thought that needs to go into it before it actually closes. And I'll, I'll share with you one of the mistakes that we made here at Data. Um, it was uh, 2017 and we had acquired Autotask and Autotask was a pretty significant or merged with Autotask. Autotask is a significant player in this market. Lots of very, very loyal partners. Um, data was the same. Culturally, we were relatively the same as well. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, it, it, I, think it, I think it went really, really well. However, um, we, didn't, uh, we didn't jump the data brand down into the Autotask folks quickly at all. We kind of let them continue to run with their own logo and, and whatnot. And then, you know, we fast forward and we're thinking we're doing a good thing by letting them kind of continue business as usual kind of idea. But then we found out after a couple of months that they really weren't feeling like part of the team. It was kind of the exact opposite where, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to nurture this and make them feel good about it and make them feel comfortable and that what they had built and loved for the last I mean, 10 years that Autotask was in business, that it's not going away. We want to continue with those things. But in essence, we were actually doing the opposite by not making them feel like they were part of a bigger family. So, you know, those are the simple little things. Like, so all of a sudden we started replacing all the swag or, or giving them additional swag with data logos on it. We started putting data logos on the buildings and on the walls and in the offices and painting everything data blue. And all of a sudden now, you know, they felt like they were part of the bigger team. So, you know, there's even some of those like little gooey things that we need to think about uh, from, from the human perspective. 
you know, ideally what you want to do is take the best of both organizations and keep them and bring them over. And I think that if you can find, you know, what, what's working really well at that organization that we can bring to ours, even if we're the acquiring organization and vice versa, what are some of the things we can continue to foster and nurture? I think those are kind of the important things. And, and as much as you can, transparency with the actual employees. I've, I've also been a big fan of that, almost over communication and transparency. Mm-hmm. Josh, your story makes me think of parenting. Like, you know, you set out to do mm-hmm. this thing and you're like, I've got good intentions. I've thought through this. Here's how I want this to go because I'm being considered a feelings. And then it goes completely the opposite way. And you're like, okay, back to the drawing board on that one, I guess. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good advice though, Robert. I I like the emphasis on the fact that um, all the thought process can't be upfront with that on the acquisition part, obviously very important, but you got to put some, uh, some energy and some thought into how you're going to make it work on the back end afterwards. Um, you know, because we do a lot of these, like I mentioned, a lot of content at these trade shows and talking about M&A and stuff like that. And even when I'm talking to MSPs that tell me that they've gone and acquired or sold, I'll always ask the question, what's the biggest mistake you made through this whole process? And that's that it's interesting and fascinating how the different answers that you can get and the different things that was, man, I didn't even think about that. You know, those kinds of things. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to see a little printout of those uh, answers, actually. It'd be fascinating. Well, if anybody's at a conference and gets an opportunity to ask that question, I highly recommend you do it because Sounds obviously good. learning from others' mistakes is how we continue to get bigger and better and stronger at these things together. So, Fantastic. Well, I think that's a good endpoint for us. Um, thanks again, Rob, from Datto. And uh, when did you say DattoCon was coming up? We'll give you a little plug here. 86 days. 86 days. <laughs> 86 um, days. Okay. It's um, uh, September 11th. Okay. Uh, in Washington D.C. and uh, it should be—I mean, it should be great. We're we're aiming to get about 2,000 MSPs there. Uh, we should have close to about 100, 110 different vendors there. Um, all MSP-driven content. Uh, it should be it should be a good time as always. And we haven't had DattoCon since 2019, a live DattoCon. So I'm super excited to be live and back in person. Okay. And I'll absolutely be at ChannelCon. Um, what's what? That's coming up. Uh, first week of August, I believe. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we talked yep. about ChannelCon and our partner summit on the last episode, and same thing. You know, we haven't done those live since 2019, so it's, it's really four times after times thing. I'm yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, ChannelCon's always been one of my favorite, favorite, favorite events. I'll never miss it. So I'll, I'll awesome. definitely be there as well. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. Great. Well, yeah. Thanks very much, Rob, for joining us. This was a blast talking to you and hearing your thoughts. Hopefully, it's been helpful for a lot of people out there and. Thank you to our substitute producer today, Leanne Van Wagner, for stepping in. I uh, really appreciate it. And yes, I will definitely see you two at ChannelCon. And Carolyn, I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Bye-bye, everyone. Yeah.